Our New Testament reading tonight is from John's Gospel and the chapter 6. John's Gospel, chapter 6. It's always good to read, I believe, the New Testament and the Old Testament at each service because there's many Christians today and they seem to think, well, we only need the New Testament. But they're forgetting the Bible is one book. It's made up of the Old Testament and the New. And the truths that we find in the New, we also find in the Old as well. So John's Gospel, the chapter 6, we're reading from the verse 22. Now these are the events that follow after the feeding of the 5,000. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one wherein his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit, there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them, and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me not, because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves, and were filled. Labour not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do, that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What doest thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son, and believeth in him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Amen. And we trust the Lord will bless the public reading of his word. And my text for this evening can be found in the verse 37. 
All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we confess that our own minds are dull to take in the word of God. We need and we plead for the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. Give help to the preacher as he delivers thy word. May nothing be said of error or of the flesh, but may everything that is said be of thy spirit and to thy glory. Give help to the congregation, for Lord, I know that we need it. Too easy it is to drift in and out of messages, and before we know it, the meeting's over, and we're wondering what has been said. Give us that attentive heart, give us that ready mind today, as we come to study thy word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is always somebody who's in control. doesn't matter where you are in life. There's always somebody who's in charge or has to be in charge. If you're born into a family, it's normally your parents. You go to school, you're under the control of the teacher. You go out to work, you find you're under the control of the boss. You live in a country, any country in the world, there's big police who are in control, judges and politicians. Get on an airplane. And hopefully you'll find there's a pilot who's in control of that plane. Even whenever you come along to church, there should be elders who are there who have responsibility, who have control or oversight of the running of the church. But what about everything that happens in this world? Is there somebody who's always in control? Well, the answer is emphatically yes. And that person is God. Now there are some people in the world and they believe that God created everything and then he left it up to man. And they would say, well, God is powerless to intervene in the affairs of the world. He really made everything and left man to run it. And these people would say, God does not control who believes in him and God has no control over who goes to heaven or who goes to hell. You ask them about the cross And the Lord Jesus Christ being crucified. And they'll say well that was just a big mistake. He was never meant to be put to death. And of course we say such teaching is not just nonsense. It's heresy. Another group of people believe that God made the world and he gets a little bit involved in it. God knew that man would sin so he planned the cross and he planned a saviour. And the father had the son die so that men had the option of salvation but really that's as far as God went and then God leaves it up to man to decide if they want to be saved or not and this group of people would say that God ultimately is powerless to make men believe or affect their will and of course we say that this teaching as well is utter nonsense now the final group and I hope you subscribe to this Believe that God is in complete control of everything. He planned everything. He foresaw and ordained every little detail that would happen. He knows what direction the fish in my pond will swim tonight. As long as they're still alive after three weeks. He knows whether my neighbour will have remembered to feed those fish. He knows exactly what will happen here in Florida. The weather for the next 
foreseeable future. He knows every leaf that will fall from the tree. He knows what every alligator will eat for dinner. But he knows more importantly that the death of his son at the cross was no accident. He planned the death of his son. And he knew that no man of his own free will would believe upon his son. He knew the whole human race was damned and would be lost forever. So he planned the salvation of many sinners from this world. And he knows the name of everybody past, present and future who will believe upon his son. Revelation 21 verse 27 says, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, speaking of heaven here, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So the Lord knows the names of all the people who will be in heaven. Their names are recorded, we're told, in the Lamb's book of life. So, dear friend, salvation is no mere chance. Salvation is no act of our will. Salvation is planned and perfected by God. Dear friend, think it out tonight. If God was not in control of all the events of the world, there would be absolute chaos. If man was left to his own devices, we would be the chiefest of sinners. We would be murderers. We would be adulterers. There would be no uh, such thing as a police uh, a need for the police because we would live in absolute anarchy. God gives restraining grace to stop you and I being as sinful as we could possibly be. We might look at history and think those men like uh, Hitler and Stalin and Mussolini were wicked and terrible men. But the truth is, dear friend, if you and I did not have restraining grace, we would be worse than they were. God was not in control. Man would have power to act autonomously. And none of us would choose God. None of us would seek after him. God, therefore, would become the subject to the whims of man. God would be under our authority and, and we would have the choice whether to choose him or reject him. Christ's death would be in vain because absolutely nobody of their own free will would believe upon him. One of the greatest comforting truths that you and I can ever comprehend in life and get our little tiny heads around is that our God is a completely sovereign God and he has planned absolutely everything according to his perfect will. Let me ask you, whenever you get on an aeroplane, do you say, right, I'm in charge of this thing. I'm going to fly this today. I don't care how long you've been flying this plane, pilot. I'm going to take control. No. We trust the pilot. He knows the controls. He knows the speeds. He knows all the, the signals. He knows how to get us up and get us down. We wouldn't be so foolish to do that. Well, God would not risk that no person would believe in his son, which is what would happen left to our own devices. None of us would choose him. So God ordained a people who would believe upon Christ. He chose us in eternity and predestinated us to come to repentance and faith in him. So in verse 37 here tonight, I believe this statement from Christ is a victory statement. 
It's made before victory has even been accomplished. Remember, this is the all-knowing God. He knows everything that's going to happen. And this is what he says. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. He doesn't say there's a possibility that it might happen. He says this is what I'm hoping will happen. No, he says this is what will happen. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Dear friends, there's no doubts about that. There's no ambiguity. Christ is certain. They shall come to me. They will. And I believe this is Christ's victory statement. And therefore it is the victory statement of the church as well. But we also have in this here tonight the clear call of the gospel. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So yes, in this verse we see the complete sovereignty of God. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. God is completely sovereign in the election and predestination of his people. But there's also the responsibility of man, him that cometh to me. And that's man's responsibility, to come to Christ. And the promise there is, I will in no wise cast out. Four things I want to leave with you here tonight. As we look at Christ's victory statement. First of all, I want you to notice the Father has appointed a people. The Father has appointed a people. And the first thing we can say is these people are chosen in eternity. Ephesians 1 verse 4. It says there, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. So the Father has chosen a people whom he will give to the Son. And these people, they're not chosen the moment they're born. It's not that God evaluates our lives and says, well, he has a certain amount of faith, or, or that woman there, she doesn't commit too many sins, or, or this family, they're a group of church-going people, I'll see if them. No, we are chosen before the foundation of the world, before we were even born, before Adam was even born. This group of people were chosen by the Father. And let me say that God is sovereignly in charge of who is chosen. Ephesians 1 verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So it's not that God looked forward into time and saw that you would have faith. It's not that God looked forward and said there's something likable about that person. I'll choose them to be one of my people. No. According to the good pleasure of his will. We're not chosen for anything good in us. We're chosen despite our sinfulness. And despite our ugliness and all our corruption. And God is sovereignly in charge. Of choosing his people. And they are chosen by grace alone. Romans 11 verse 5 says there is a remnant. According to the election of grace. It's not the election of works. It's not the election of foresight that you and I would be honourable people. No, it's all of grace. And if you and I are ever tempted to think, well, God chose me because I'm really quite something special. Dear friend, the word of God quickly reminds us we're chosen by grace alone. And that's it. God's people are chosen by grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favour. We cannot earn grace. We cannot work for it. It is from God alone. But sadly, there are terrible accusations that are leveled against God. 
And we hear them, even from Christians. And maybe their thoughts that have crossed our mind time after time. Well, if God elects and God predestinates men to salvation, why does he not predestinate all? Why does he not elect and save all? And the answer is, dear friend, that this is a terrible question. That's the wrong sort of question to be asking. That's not the sort of question we should be even pondering upon our mind. Why doesn't God save all? The question we should be asking is why would he save any? Why would God save any sinner? Imagine you were offered the opportunity to visit the worst prison in the world. And you were taken into that prison and you were shown terrible murderers, child abusers, rapists, people who murder their own family for little under a dollar, people who have uh, been nothing but a, uh, the offscarring of society. And you met them and you were told their, their terrible crimes and told all the things that they had done and then asked if you wanted to pardon any of them. Well, I imagine you would say, why, why would I want to pardon this man? Why would I want to let this man out onto the street? He's clearly not repentant. He's clearly not sorry for what he's done. Why would I want to forgive him? Well, dear friend, imagine a man or woman did those crimes against you. And then you were offered the opportunity to pardon them. I'm sure none of us would. Well, here we have a world full of sinners who have rebelled against God, who have broken his law, who have taken his name and blasphemed it. And then God, by free grace alone, comes and offers a pardon, not to all, but a certain group of people. And the question has to be, not why doesn't he save all, but why would he save that group of people? They don't deserve it. They haven't merited it. It's an act of mercy that God would save one sinner, let alone untold billions. So the Father has appointed a people. But secondly, here tonight, the Father gives these people to the Son. In John 17, if you want to turn to that chapter, John 17, we see that there is a covenant made between the Father and the Son. We call this the covenant of redemption. The Father and Son have covenanted together that the Son will come into the world and be the saviour of sinners. John 17 verse 2. Christ says as thou hast given him. This is his high priestly prayer remember. And Christ is praying about himself to the father. As thou hast given him power over all flesh. That he should give his life. That he should give eternal life. To as many as thou hast given him. So the father has given these people unto his son. Verse 6 goes on to say. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou givest me. Out of the world thine they were, and thou givest them me, and they have kept thy word. And verse 9 again, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. So here we see that the Father has clearly given the Son these people. They now belong to Christ, but... The Son must redeem them. It's not enough that the Father gives them to the Son. Remember, these are people who have broken God's law. And because God is holy, he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. So the Son must redeem them. And that's what he does. 
John 10 verse 15. I lay down my life for the sheep. This is how the son is going to redeem his people. I will lay down my life as the good shepherd. I will lay down my life for the sheep. So they can be saved. I will give my life for their life. In Matthew 1, 21, before the Saviour was born, it was prophesied, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. It does not say he shall save all people from their sins. He shall save his people from their sins. This is the whole purpose of Christ coming into the world. There's a group of sinners that the Father has given to him, but they but they've broken God's law, and that law breaking must be punished. This group of people must be redeemed, and the Son must redeem them. But Christ has the power to give these people new life. John seventeen again uh, verse two as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So here we see that Christ has the power to give eternal life to his people. And dear friends, this is the glorious message of the gospel for you and I who are lost in sin, for you and I who are destined to be punished for our sin in hell. The Lord Jesus Christ has power to give new life. And of those people that Christ gives new life to. Not one will be lost. John 6 verse 39. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me. That all which he hath given me. I should lose nothing. All of the people. However many billions and millions it is. Not one will be left behind or forgotten about. Not one will ever be forgotten. I know a family and they have quite a few children. And they had a camper van uh, to take the children uh, about in. I think it was a nine-seater car. Which maybe isn't a big thing for you in America here. But in in Northern Ireland it's like driving a bus. uh, A nine-seater car. And they were out at church one Sunday morning, came out of church, uh, all got into the van, got home, sitting down to their dinner, all of a sudden the doorbell goes. That's the neighbour. And the neighbour standing there with the youngest son. And they had gone home from church and they'd forgot the youngest son. It's only that the neighbour happened to go to church as well, that the neighbour brought the son home. But there, a family uh, of eight didn't realise that one was missing. Back home, eating their dinner, completely oblivious that one had been left behind. And it's not that they were bad parents, they're just, uh, these things sort of happen whenever you've got that many. But dear friend, that will never happen with Christ. And it'll never happen with his church. Not one of his elect and chosen people will ever be left behind. He says, all that the Father hath given me, I shall lose nothing. Because if Christ went to the cross... And paid the debt of their sin. If Christ took the punishment of the Father upon his own body and soul for that one sinner. Dear friend they cannot be left behind. And they cannot be punished again by God. Because God cannot demand payment for sin twice. If Christ has paid it. It's paid forever. And that dear sinner is redeemed. And they'll not be forgotten. 
So Christ says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. The Father has appointed a people, and the Father gives these people to the Son. But let me note thirdly here tonight that all of these people will come to the Son. He has purchased their salvation. In John 10 verse 28, Christ says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And dear friend, all of these people will come to believe upon Christ. They cannot fail to. If Christ has purchased their salvation, they are redeemed. And they will come to repent and they will come to believe. They can't pass it by and they can't reject it. It's irresistible grace that we're called by. And Christ redeems these people and he has redeemed them from the bondage of their sin and from the debt that they owed God. Psalm 40 verses 1 and 2. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the marty clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my going. Dear friend, it isn't us who redeems ourselves. We can't wash away the filth of our sin. We can't make ourselves righteous before God. But the Lord Jesus Christ does it for his people. He redeems us from the bondage. He brings us out of that pit and sets us upon the rock. And he does more than that. He compels his people to come unto him. John ten twenty seven. <coughs> Pardon me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep, they belong to me, and they hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And dear friend, Christ compels us to come unto him, to follow him. But the truth is that those who are not Christ's will reject his overtures in the gospel. Oh, they might have their hearts warmed momentarily by the thought of God's love towards them. They might be uh, delighted to hear that after death there's the hope of heaven and they'll not be lost in hell forever. But ultimately, they will reject his overtures in the gospel and Christ says as much in John ten twenty six, Ye believe me not, because ye are not of my sheep. And the truth is that men and women might come into church and they might sit gladly under the sound of the gospel. They might have their ears tickled and their hearts warmed momentarily. But ultimately they'll reject the Savior because they're not his. But all those who are his will come to him. Some might come early in life. John the Baptist, I'm not going to be controversial, but there are some people who think he was converted in the womb. There's other uh, people who don't believe that. Boys and girls can be converted at at a very young age and never wander away from the Lord. Other people can come as teenagers and walk with the Lord every day of their life. Other people in their 20s, 30s. And then there's other people, they'll nearly leave it to the very last moment of their life. But all who are his will come to him. Not one will be left behind. Not one will be forgotten about. But let me note fourthly and finally this evening. That this salvation of Christ is freely offered to all people. Christ is offered freely to all men. Maybe you're saying, well, how does that work? 
Christ is freely offered to all men because all men are commanded to repent and believe the gospel. It is the responsibility of every man to repent and believe. The fact that they won't does not make God unjust. And the fact that they won't is not God's fault. It's because of the hardness and the depravity of man's sin and his wicked soul that he will not come. But that doesn't negate his duty to come. Christ is offered freely to all men. Matthew eleven twenty eight. The Saviour himself preached and he said, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me, all ye. All ye. Come unto me. This isn't a restricted call of the gospel. No. This is Christ freely offering himself unto all men. Come unto me. But not all men would come unto him. But he still freely offered to all men. And Christ tells all men of their need. Isaiah 1 verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The Lord is telling men here about the need that they have for their sins to be dealt with. Your sins are as scarlet, but come to me and I will make them as wool. And this is the need that all men have. The need to have their sins forgiven. And their need to have peace with God. And God calls men through Christ to come to him and have their sin forgiven. And Christ invites all men to come to him. Isaiah 55 verse 1, we read it earlier. Ho, every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat, yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Ho, everyone, everyone that thirsteth, come to the waters. Dear friend, there's an invitation there for sinners who are hungering and thirsting after God to come to Christ. But more than that, Christ commands all men to be saved. In Isaiah 45, verse 22, the Lord says, Look unto me and be ye saved. Does he just say, those who are elect or those who are predestinated? No. Of course they're included in it. But look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. The Jew was commanded to, re- to look unto God. The Gentile was commanded to look unto God. And so it is today. The same call of the gospel goes out that all men and women of all nations and every tribe and tongue are commanded to look unto God through Christ for salvation. And there is guaranteed mercy for the genuine seeker. Isaiah 55 verse 7 we read earlier. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him. And to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. Dear friend. It's a mark. Of those who are called by God. And predestinated to receive salvation. That they will turn to God. And that he will show mercy upon them. It's a promise we have here in the word of God. For those who forsake their wicked ways. 
by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ that God will abundantly pardon. And there's a promise for those sinners who genuinely come to him. Psalm 102 verse 17. He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. God is not mocking people whenever he calls us to repent. God is not mocking us whenever he says, come and believe upon me. No, dear friend, if you genuinely come and you genuinely believe, he will receive you. He will not turn you away. Scripture has the examples of those sinners who have received salvation. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 15 and 16, Paul says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Christ Jesus might show forth all longsuffering to a pattern of them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. Paul says, I was the chief of sinners, and he saved me. And dear friend, it doesn't matter how terrible our crimes against God have been. And maybe there's times where we're lying in our bed thinking, how could God ever love me with all my sin? How could God ever love me with all the times I've rebelled against him and broken his law? All those times I took his name as a curse word upon my lips. Well, dear friend, there's no sinner that is too far gone. No sinner who is too died in their sin that God cannot pardon. Think of the dying thief as well. In Luke 23, 42 to 43, the dying thief said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shall thou be with me in paradise. Here was a man who in his dying breath called out to the Lord for salvation. And the Lord didn't say, You should have done it earlier. Why didn't you do it ten years ago? Why didn't you do it when you heard me preaching in Jerusalem three months ago? No, the Lord said to this poor man who cried to him, Today shall thou be with me in paradise. You see, dear friend, by the example of Paul and by the example of the dying thief, and we could give more examples here tonight, but our time's running out. Christ gives salvation to the sinners who seek him for salvation. The fact that we're burdened in our heart, the fact that we even have that desire to long after salvation is certainly an indication of God's Spirit working with us. But dear friend, it's not enough just to have the Spirit striving with us and prompting us and telling us that we need to be saved. Dear friend, we must be converted and we must be born again. Coming to a close here tonight, there's many people and they get their order of these matters confused. But the truth is, you don't try to discover if you're one of the elect so you can come to Christ. You come to Christ to discover you're one of the elect. 
There are many deep things of God that you and I will never understand. And perhaps this is one of them for some of us here tonight. But we must understand this. It is our responsibility to seek God. It is our responsibility to repent of our sin. And it is our responsibility to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we might not understand the deep things concerning the sovereignty of God. And the truth is, dear friend, we don't really have to. But the things that we do have to understand is that it is our responsibility to seek him. And if we fail in this responsibility, we have failed with the gospel. Because our responsibility is to repent and believe. If a starving man complains he has no food. And someone comes and leaves him a full meal sitting upon the table. Just has to come to the table and receive it. Well, if that starving man refuses to come and eat, who's to blame? Himself. Well, Christ has provided a full salvation. And it's a free salvation. But the sinner must come to receive it. I think of the man with the withered hand. That man who met Christ couldn't stretch out his hand. His hand was withered. He had looked at it for many years. Maybe he had tried to get the muscles going in his hand, wishing that maybe if I can just uh, engage with my brain, the muscles in my arm, I can stretch forth my hand. But it never happened. And then one day Christ came along and he said, Stretch forth thine hand. Now if that man said, I'm not going to bother. If that man said, uh, I've no interest in doing that. I've tried it before. Who does he think he is? But that man stretched forth his hand. And it worked like it had never worked before. Well, dear friend, you and I have the command from Christ to believe the gospel. We have the responsibility to leave our sin and follow him. And if men and women won't do it, who's to blame? It's not Christ. He is not to blame that Men and women will not believe upon him. He is not to blame that sinners will not leave their sin and come and believe upon him. The sinners to blame. So dear friend, the responsibility that I have and you have. Repent and believe the gospel. That's a responsibility you have. And I tell you it's the most solemn and important responsibility that you'll ever have in life. Because it concerns your soul. And may God grant that saving grace upon your soul tonight. If you don't have it already, let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for the great call of the gospel. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. But we thank thee that of all the Father has given the Son, not one will be lost. O Father, write thy word and the gospel challenge upon our souls this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.